0: Thank you so much. What a delight to be here. I've been assigned the share portion of what we're talking about, and we're going to get there. But before we do, I need to come back and just say uh, a thanks to Sister Miriam for this morning. Was she amazing? Yeah. In 2019, I met Sister Miriam. She was speaking at a focus conference. One of my sons, I've been blessed with eight. One of my sons was sitting behind me, and he was the, at least at the time, the black sheep. He's in a great place now, but at the time, he was playing in the tall grass. For those of you who golf, that's not a good thing. Uh, He was sitting behind me, and Sister Miriam spoke, and at the end of her talk, he just leaned forward and says, that sister kicks ass. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she does. I mean, I, I've been blessed to watch the line of you guys waiting to speak with her. And she has had a huge impact in Focus, has become one of our most popular speakers. And she talked about that, that awareness of Christ in your life that's going to be so important. And I also want to acknowledge uh, Matthew Leonard for his great work. Thank you, Matthew. The catechism makes it really simple. It quotes St. Alphonsus Liguori. It says, those who pray will be saved. Those who don't pray will be lost. And so the idea that we would become men of prayer is really, really critical for ourselves, for our family, for our culture, because men, you stand in the gap. I love the men's conferences. It's an honor to be back with you all. I think this is my fourth trip to the men's conference. In the meantime, I think it's become the largest Catholic men's conference in the country. Congratulations. So great to be with you all. And I've had some great time here. got to meet with uh, Matt yesterday and just deepen our relationship with Damascus and Focus. We're just thrilled for that. So There's some great things going on here. I do want to spend most of my time talking about what we're going to do. How do we share what we've been given? But really, really, it's important to back up because what you do is so much less important than who you are that you can't do what we're supposed to do, unless you let Christ change who you are. We have no capacity to do what we're being asked to do. None. We do not have the capacity to do what we're being asked to do. We do have the capacity to ask for God's grace, and with his grace, we can do all things. And so it's so important. You know, sometimes people will come to focus and say, could you tell me how you do what you do? And, and, and they, they, they want us to talk about the habits and the, and the skills and different things, and, and those are important. We're going to get there. But the church is, is brilliant. And when it talks about human formation, it talks about multiple layers. At the base, there's human formation. Do you have virtue? It's hard to change the world if you can't get up on time. Are you honest? And so the human formation... And then there's a spiritual formation. Grace presupposes and builds on nature. Do you have a life of prayer? And to be able to understand that intellectual formation... One of my mentors in, in grad school, Alan Shrek, is here, had an opportunity to meet with him and speak briefly before I meet his son. Uh, I had a life-changing experience during my time at Franciscan University, and I'm grateful to them, and grateful to you, Alan, in your last year of full-time uh, teaching. Thank you. It's really a blessing. <clears throat> on top of the human and on top of the spiritual and on top of the intellectual are the practical skills. And when you try to share with people the practical skills without what's underneath, it's kind of like an iceberg. Most of it's under the water. And if you're just looking at the tip, you don't understand why it's floating. If you took what's underneath it below, it would immediately sink into the ocean. And so who we are in Christ is so important. And I want to take a moment to talk about that because um, we need to know who Christ is. And we need to learn how to pray. I'm going to look at, it, at an example from John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, uh, there's amazing things going on. I, I, there's a, a, a portion just before this with the evangelization of John and Andrew that's spectacular. I'm going to go to a much shorter portion of the Scriptures. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. And, Nathaniel, uh, and he said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael responded and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Okay, so what just happened here? Philip turns to Nathanael and says, hey, we found him of whom Moses wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's having none of it. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And instead of trying to figure out, oh, uh, how, how do I uh, address this? I don't know that I've had enough education to be able to answer that question. Uh, but he just says, come and see. It just introduces him to Jesus. And in two verses, he goes from, how do you know me? To, you're the son of God. Because Jesus does all the work. Jesus does all the work. It's absolutely amazing to see what's going on. And there's a whole Bible study that involves the prophet Zechariah that we're not going to get into. What I want to leave you with is, We've got to know Christ. We've got to know him. And we're going to know him by encountering him. We're going to talk about that for just a moment. And we're going to know him by speaking with him on a regular basis. Yes, every day. So what did Sister Miriam and, and, and Matthew speak about? These two realities. Letting Christ in and talking to him regularly. It doesn't have to be complicated. 15, 20 minutes a day. But priority. Priority. Those who pray or save, those who don't are lost. And for you to be the men you need to be in your life, with your wives, with your children and your grandchildren, whether they're born yet or not, you need Christ in your life. And I think it's important to recognize something that I, I, we all have pictures of Jesus, the Sacred Heart in our home. I know we've enthroned thrown to our home to the Sacred Heart. and uh, it's, it, it's great to have pictures of Jesus to remind us of him. But I want to highlight something that's just true because of the resurrection. And I won't read verse for verse, but I, I want to draw your attention to Easter Sunday night. So it was a big day for Jesus. Uh, he rose from the dead. So it's a big deal. And uh, he's now in the upper room, and he's just given the apostles the sacrament of confession. Breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you hold bound or held bound. And, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and the, they're able to have the sacrament of confession given to the church in John chapter 20. Now, if we're told, and you know this well, one of the apostles, well, two, Judas wasn't there either, but one of the other apostles wasn't there, Thomas. And so Thomas shows up after Jesus has been there, and uh, it says in verse 24 of John chapter 20, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger in its place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then we're told a week later, Jesus shows up again. This time, Thomas is there. And he walks up to Thomas and he goes, go for it. And, uh, And you know the story, Thomas falls to his knees, my Lord and my God. But I want to highlight something that maybe we don't think about. Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can poke my fingers in his hand and my hand in his side. And Jesus heard Thomas. Because when he saw him the next week, he said, let's go. Here they are. Do you know that Jesus hears your every word? Even your thoughts. Because that's where we need to live. It's the truth. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus isn't like George Washington who's dead. Jesus is a life-giving spirit according to St. Paul. He's alive and his divinity now radiates through his humanity and he can do all things. He hears every single one of your words even when he's not visibly in the room. He hears your thoughts. And that's the key to our relationship with him. Will we allow ourselves to encounter him and say, you know, I'm going to start talking to you on a regular basis, Lord. Every day I'll make an appointment with you. And sometimes because it's so easy, we forget how amazing it is. I'm reminded of a time when Focus was just getting started. I had some friends who had some friends who had some friends who arranged for me to be able to go to a private audience with Pope John Paul. St. John Paul now. And uh, so the the deal was a 7 a.m. mass in his private residence followed by an opportunity to meet with him and speak. And uh, it was kind of a big deal. And so it was a 7 a.m. mass. So I got up. At four, (laughs) because I was not going to miss this mass. This is a big deal. And uh, I got up, I took a shower, started to break a sweat, thought about taking another shower, decided not to. Uh, Got there about quarter to six and waited for an hour and 15 minutes for them to open the gate because I was not going to miss. Because it was the Pope. The Pope carries the luggage of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And he's available to you. And my invitation to you is not just to consider praying, but to actually make an appointment with God and to do so preferably in the morning. Sometimes it's not possible because of your life. But Matthew mentioned that the morning is typically what's recommended. I like it for multiple reasons. Uh, A, you can always get up a little bit earlier and and, and pray. So you can always move that. My, My wife likes to talk about getting the boulders in our schedule in first so that the little rocks... can can fit in around them. And and the biggest boulder in our life is, is receiving Jesus in the Eucharist and praying. So I encourage you to find time for Mass frequently. If you go on Sundays and Holy Days, that's awesome. Could you go one day a week? I pray. Could you pray every day for 20 minutes? Just a little bit of time. It's so amazing. And so to be able to recognize that he will come into our lives the way he came into Nathaniel's life, and change us, and he will be listening to you. It's so essential. At the heart of what focus does, what our missionaries do, our student leaders do, is who they are. They're men and women of conversion. They've encountered Christ and of prayer and sacraments. Without that, nothing I'm going to talk about for the rest of our time will work at all. Nothing. It's who we are that allows us to do what we do. And and we have to recognize it's got to have those things in proper order. You can't take the shortcut. We like to talk about it as a term, the first principle of divine intimacy. Am I living with God? Because here's the cool thing about living with God. Something happens in your soul and in my soul and in anybody's soul who does that. Something radiates out. It's called joy. And joy is the ultimate bait. The human heart longs for joy. Think about that. Would you like to have $10 million and no joy? I would rather have joy and no $10 million. Why would you want to be miserable and have stuff? People kill themselves when they have all kinds of stuff and they're miserable because they realize the problem's not out there. The problem's in here, and they don't know how to fix it. They thought, if I just had more cars or more places, amen. And as Sister Miriam said so beautifully this morning, Jesus knows how to fix that. He knows how to work in your life. He made you so that he could work in your life. And we could have joy. And it is the key to what we do when we go on college campus. It's the joy and the friendship that our missionaries establish with students that is the key to everything. Which leads to the second of three points, the joy, the, the relationship. And then the second piece is relationship again, but now outside, I have a relationship with God, thanks be to God. He came into my life, he invited me to, to live differently. I try to speak with him regularly. I, t- I try to get to Mass regularly. And now I'm going to go out and make friends. And we, what we like to tell the staff is go out and meet college students and do the things they love to do that are moral. <laughs> it's important. We're not going to do everything they love to do. We're going to do the things that, So we're, we're not going to... Uh, look at pornography or bad movies, but we are going to go hiking or play intramural sports, and we're going to develop friendship. And friendship is amazing. Here's the deal. This is what Jesus did, right? We could say, well, you know, I, I have a text. God sent a text. It was called the Ten Commandments. It didn't work. We broke all of them before Moses got down the mountain with the text. But then he came and lived with us. And now we're moving towards Share. This is the model that Jesus gave us. Jesus has this crazy model. You think about it. A lot of smart guys in the room. Probably none of us would have done what he did. Here's the the need. Jesus, you need to develop a plan because here's your responsibility. You are the only savior of the entire world. Not, Not just everybody on earth, but everybody who ever lived on earth and ever will live on earth. How are you going to get them? If you were you and me, I'd sit back and say, well, by the 21st century, we'll have great flights and great modern communication. That'd be a great way to go. But what Jesus did, he came to the middle of nowhere and found 12 guys who went camping for three years. That's a crazy business plan. That's a crazy business plan. It's the best business plan, and it's the one I want to share with you today. It's what we do in focus. Now, it wouldn't work if there wasn't divine intimacy and if we weren't living in friendship with the students we serve. But what does this look like? And I was, I, I'm honored to serve the U.S. bishops on their committee for evangelization. Uh, Bishop Cousins, who's a wonderful friend and a good man, on the board of St. Paul's Outreach. We've got some great friends from St. Paul's Outreach here today. Um, Bishop Cousins is a, a, a wonderful guy. And this is my second term, and I serve him. Before that, it was Bishop Barron. Bishop Barron invited me to join. And Bishop Barron changed the bureaucratic meetings to short bureaucratic meetings and then bring in experts to speak to the bishops. And I was blessed to be there. One day, they brought in this guy, Christian Smith. Christian is a sociologist from Notre Dame. He studied people, young people in particular. He probably knows more about this young generation than anybody on earth from a Christian perspective. We're sitting there, and he's giving this presentation... The presentation is very interesting. He's finished, and he's at the end of the table, and I'm at the corner, so we're right next to one another. There's a break for coffee, and uh, I lean over and I said, Christian, I just want to let you know I've read a couple of your articles, and uh, I actually was at a talk you gave a few years ago. I really admire your work. And uh, he said, oh, thank you very much. Who are you? And I said, I'm Curtis Martin. He goes, you're the focus guy. I admire your work. So for just a moment, we went, oh, we didn't do that. Um, And uh, and without missing a beat, he goes, oh, my goodness, you're going to love my next book. He said, you don't have to get it. You don't have to read it. I'll just tell you what it is. We interviewed thousands of families. I've got a team of hundreds of researchers. We interviewed thousands of families, people of faith. and, And we put them into three categories first category, people of faith who raised children, and none of their children were practicing the faith of their parents when they were adults. None of them. And then in the middle was a group of mixed. Some were practicing, some weren't. And then on the other end, people who raised kids, and all of them were practicing the faith of their parents as adults. And he said, as researchers, we took the middle group out. We just wanted to know the extremes, and we asked those families hundreds of questions. What did you do? What did you not do? Tell me about it. And he goes, Curtis, one thing rose above all the others. There were multiple factors. It's a good thing to have meals together. It's a good thing to go to church together. He said, but the one thing that the families of faith did to raise children who would then practice the faith as adults. I'm sorry. I'm a little short on time. We'll go to another point here. I'm sure you're not interested, right? (laughs) Oh, you, okay. I guess I can take a little bit longer. Um, He said, Curtis They had spiritual conversations with their children on a regular basis. They had spiritual conversations. Not about church politics and what's wrong in the church. That's not a spiritual conversation. That's a political conversation. Spiritual conversations are, why is Jesus Christ simply the best person in all of history? Why is the Blessed Virgin Mary the second best? How about St. Francis of Assisi? Or St. Maxby and Colby? I was given... St. Maximilian Colby socks by the conference organizers last night. I don't wear socks like this very often, but I, I, I would wear them today because they were given to me. This is St. Maximilian Colby, this is the guy, he's, he's been trapped by the Nazis and somebody escapes and the Nazis thing to make sure people don't escape is anybody escapes, we're going to kill 10 people at random. So the commandant walked down the line, and goes, you, 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 and he gets to this one guy and the one, one guy just starts, he starts to sob and he said, I have a wife and I have children, please, no. And Colby, a Catholic priest, said, I'll go instead. you got to believe in a heaven to be willing to lay down your life for someone you don't know. And he did. The other nine guys all were locked in a room with Colby, and they were starving them to death and, and nothing to drink. And as you lose your senses through a lack of hydration, you become irate and angry. And one by one, Colby calmed them down, for the ones that were Catholic, he gave, heard their confessions. He held them and watched the nine men die of dehydration and starvation. He's left. Days go by. He doesn't seem to be dying. In fact, the guards notice that at night, he glows in the dark in his, in his cell. So finally, the commandant realized this is bad because the guards are starting to have conversions to Catholicism, and so they went and poisoned Colby, and he's been in heaven ever since. It's pretty impressive. We need more men like that. You could be a man like that. We need you to be a man like that. And to be able to recognize the great things, spiritual conversations. And I realized that focus between small group Bible studies and what we call discipleship, where we talk about various realities of how to be better sons of God. It's just a series of spiritual conversations. And Christian Smith had told us, you're doing the one thing that makes a difference. So I'd like to talk to you about what that looks like. What we call the little way of evangelization. The little way of evangelization is based in some ways on St. Therese's little way of spirituality. So Therese is this young girl. She's sickly. And she's got a great heart but a weak body. And, uh, and she just doesn't have a lot of capacity. And she's reading St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa of Avila is known as Big Teresa. Big Teresa was a rock star. And she just took the world on. She founded convents, and, and was a great renewer of the Carmelites in the church, one of the great saints of the Counter-Reformation. And, Ch- and Therese, the little flower, look at her and said, that's great, but I have a hard time getting out of bed because I'm pretty sick. Uh, I, 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 I can't do the big way, like big Teresa. I need a little way. I can't go found convents, but I can take a really simple task like folding napkins, cloth napkins for dinner. And I could do that with great love. It goes something like this. Lord, if, if you were coming to dinner tonight and this was your napkin, I would fold it with such precision and such great love. And as I hand it to you, I would beg you, save more souls. And I'd hand them the napkin. And then she put that napkin to the side and then grabbed the next napkin and say, Lord, if you were coming to dinner tonight and this was your napkin, or maybe it was mopping the floor. It didn't matter. She would do little things with great love. Now, there might be people, there are people, priests in this room and others who are, will be granted the big way of evangelization. I get to have some part of that right now. I'm standing behind a podium talking to hundreds and hundreds, 1,700 men. It's, a, it's the big way. And, and Jesus had the big way, right? He uh, spoke to the thousands, fed the thousands, worked miracles. And if, if you can do the big way go for it and be really generous. I don't have the ability to raise the dead, at least not yet. But if you do, go raise the dead. I don't have the ability to heal people yet, maybe, maybe later. But if you do, there's a lot of sick people, go heal them. But I would argue that the big way was actually not Jesus' A game. Jesus also had the little way, the 12 guys. Or as you're talking about here, one rung beyond the, the 12 is the 72. What a great project. You're already busy in what I'm talking about, what I hope to share with you. There's power in the little way that can't be manifested in the big way. The big way is amazing, and it's great. But here's the deal. Let's say that the model of evangelization was let's create a web page, and it's the best web page in the world, and we reach hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, but we don't know them. We don't have a relationship with them. And we, we, what are you going to do with all those people who all want They're longing for friendship and you can't be there for them? The little way, Jesus knew all 12 of the apostles. He knew them well. One of the things that strikes me about Jesus is the way that he taught. He lived up in Galilee, which is about a four to five day walk there up north and down to Jerusalem about a four or five day walk. And multiple times a year, Jesus would go for a walk with the disciples. They'd walk from the north four or five days and I just imagine what that's like. He's walking along, and he's talking to Peter. And just, What's going on in your life? Do you miss fishing? Gosh, it, I can't wait to share with you where I'm hoping you'll be able to go. And then something happens, and all of a sudden Peter's in the back, and James and John walk up, and now he's talking to them for hours. Oh my goodness, he loved them. in A, a crazy type of friendship. One that guys in our modern world we haven't taken the time for frequently. Not with our wives, not with our children, not with our brothers. And I'm begging you to reconsider that. The little way. Here's here's the way the little way works. You go find a handful of people, not many. Jesus was God, he had 12. Don't get 20. Make sure it's a a, a group that you can get to know well. You know them well. You, You know what's going on in their lives. For our missionaries, they're full-time missionaries. They frequently work with seven or eight people, sometimes 10 or 12. It doesn't really matter how many, but it's a small group, but you're going deep. You're investing. Maybe you're getting together once a week at six o'clock in the morning to discuss Sunday's readings. It doesn't really matter what you're talking about as long as you're talking about God. And you get together and you have spiritual conversations once a week and you get to know one another and you see that. When you're having a tough time, they're there to pull you up. And when they're having a tough time, you're there to pull them up. And you inspire them. Here's the critical piece. You inspire them to go repeat the process. Here's the amazing thing that Jesus did at the end of his life, after his life, after his resurrection, on the 40th day, after the, uh, right before he ascends into heaven, the last thing he says is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus turns to his apostles just before he's going to ascend, and he says, "All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Up you went. Now Jesus is God. And so, in a certain sense, he's always had all authority. But he only claims it once, and it's right here. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, we teach our our, our missionaries, our student leaders, how to study the scriptures. There's lots of different things. To learn typology and realize that when God mentions in the scriptures things that are unusual, you should check and see if they're found someplace else. So, for example... Um, when Jesus is meeting with Peter after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee, it's in the morning and they're at a charcoal fire. And Jesus says three times, Peter, do you love me? The, the charcoal fire is only mentioned one other time in Scripture. Do you know where? At the high priest's house. When three times Peter denied Jesus. I don't know the man. Those are meant to be connected. The charcoal fire is the connection. One of the things we do is we say, when you see the word, therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Because it connects two thoughts. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It is with all of the authority I have, I'm going to tell you to do one thing. Go make disciples. And we live in a church that makes believers. And believers are great. It's not what Jesus tells us to do. If you're you're a believer and you die in the state of grace, you'll go to heaven forever. It's awesome. Believers are awesome. But it's not what he asked us to do with all authority. He said, go make disciples. Disciples, those are the kind of guys that quit their jobs. Have you ever had a quit your job moment with Jesus? Like Peter did in Luke chapter 5? He woke up in the morning a fisherman, and by evening he he was a disciple. He quit his job. Now, God may not ask you to quit your job. He may want you to stay right there. He just wants you to be willing to quit your job. Have you ever had that kind of fundamental, oh my goodness, I will follow you anywhere because that's the power of Christ getting into our lives and to be able to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to make disciples. Well, how do you make disciples? What's well, different than making believers? It's way deeper. It's changed lives, not just, I think about a few things differently. No, I think about everything differently. I behave differently differently. I'm a different person because of the impact of Jesus Christ in my life. Still a work in progress in my case. Many, many miles to go. But by the grace of God, I've traveled a few miles also. He wants to change me and he wants to change you. But to find a group of guys that all want to do that together, that's discipleship. Let's go. I love Saint, or not Saint, I'm canonizing Pope Benedict before his time. Pope Benedict on his first mass as Pope Turned to the young people, caught my attention with focus. And I leaned in and he said, to you young people, the world offers you comfort. But you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Gentlemen, it's true for you. We don't want to be comfortable. There's this place called heaven. We'll be really comfortable there. We're in the middle of a battle right now. Find a group of men, a band of brothers, and come together. Here's where the little way becomes explosive. Explosive. Jesus told his disciples, after years of being discipled by Jesus, he told them to go make disciples of their own. The twelve went out and found others. Paul, who wasn't one of the twelve, but he found Timothy and Titus. There's books in the New Testament named for those men. Paul wrote the letters to his disciples. To St. Timothy, he wrote two letters. The second one, he was in prison, knowing he was about to die. And he says this in, in Second Timothy chapter two, verse two, he says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach those things to other men who can teach others also. It's two Timothy, two, two. What he taught was teach teachers to teach. It's a lot of T's. Two Tim, two, two. Teach teachers to teach. And here's where it becomes amazing. This small group, five or six, who all of a sudden, after a period of time of growing together, realized, I will live for others as well, and you go. And those five go out and find five more, and all of a sudden, five becomes 25. And after a little more time, those 25 become 125. And all of a sudden, you set off an exponential growth pattern, which we need, because here's the deal, guys. We've got to recover a sense of urgency for the gospel. Today, right now, there are people living in abject poverty, Dire po- no food, no water, no medicine, no place to sleep. There, there are more slaves on earth today than ever in the history of the world. And they're waiting for you to go rescue them. They're waiting. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of people and we don't believe in reincarnation. So the clock is ticking. There's got to be a sense of urgency. Maybe we should quit our jobs. I'm not sure. That's between you and God. We should be willing to. And so all of a sudden, five become 25. 25 becomes 125. I've done the math lots of different times. Let me just use two. One person gets two, and two go out and get two each. That's four. And then eight, then 16, then 32, then 64. In the 25th cycle, you will have reached 33 million people. That's more than a million people a year and nobody did anything extraordinary. Anybody here not have two friends? Somebody should go meet that guy. I'm kidding, nobody raised their hand. The, uh, nobody did anything extraordinary. It was the little way, it's simple. With great love. In the 33rd cycle, you'd reach 8 billion, B, billion, that's, we don't even have 8 billion people on earth it's been our experience of focus that a cycle takes about a year. It could take longer. It could take shorter. It doesn't take a lot longer. We've actually found statistically that if you don't get people mobilized within 18 months, they will never get mobilized. They get in the habit of not being mobilized. So, so maybe as long as 18 months... Particularly about a year. That means in the lifetime of Jesus Christ, 33 years, we could reach every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth and rescue them from poverty and rescue them from slavery. But more importantly, introduce them to the Lord of the universe who died to save their eternal soul. At no point in time in history has even half the people on earth known that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. We could change that. You, right here in Columbus, by embracing the little way. You want to share the faith? Use the model that Jesus used. If you want to use the model that Jesus used, then you should live the way Jesus lived in deep union with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Here's the power of sharing the faith this way you'll be doing the one activity that science has proven will help children and grandchildren to live and practice their faith for the rest of their lives. And you'll be part of reaching the entire world. Because here's the beautiful thing that Jesus knows about you, knows about me, knows about those that we could reach out and work with. St. Catherine of Siena said it. She said, if you are what you were meant to be, you would set the world on fire. Gentlemen, my invitation is to have a deep, deep conversion to Christ, an encounter that leads to a life of prayer, that God is transforming you from the inside out, and then to apply the little way. Find a group of guys. doesn't matter if it's you and two others, you and five others, but a small group where everybody is known and loved and cared for, and then allow yourselves to experience deep transformation and go repeat the process. You only have to do it once. The numbers I talk, eight billion people, nobody even went out and got another two, Everybody just got to one time. You can go out and reach more. That's its its very simplest level. You, gentlemen, can be agents of transformation in your own lives by the grace of God, but in the world, which is so desperately waiting for you to become who you were meant to be so that by God's grace, you can set the world on fire. Thank you.